You cannot create in a vacuum. Everything that you produce comes from somewhere and is influenced by something. It could be your personal life experiences, the pop culture you consume, the work of other creators that you admire, or it could be all of these thrown together into a pot out of which comes something entirely new. Sometimes it's easy to see a creator's influences. They wear their inspirations on their sleeve and their work continues a richer narrative legacy that spans many creators and many decades of creations. Other times, a creator will produce a piece of work that takes what's come before and makes something entirely new, fresh and utterly unique. It's at those times that the creator becomes an influencer themselves, propelling a whole new generation of creators to come. The difficulty with this is having no real control over your own legacy. There's no way of knowing how your work will inspire others. And sometimes the legacy of an original work gets distorted and the wrong lessons are learned. The flow of creativity is an unpredictable one. And while the linearity of certain legacies can be traced back through time, there's no way of knowing where the influences of others will take us in the future. My name's Matt Loon, and today on the show I'm joined by Matt Kint and Kelly Kanayama to discuss legacies and influences on That's the Issue. Um, well, right now, I'm mostly focusing on my PhD, but I used to write for Nerdist, um, used to write for Women Write About Comics. Um, I've now got a little bit, a few essays published in um, a couple of critical anthologies, um, including Zainab Akhtar's Critical Chips and a couple of academic collections of essays. Uh, as for what I do, I'm a comics critic and scholar. I'm, like I mentioned, I'm finishing up my PhD in... Uh, in comic studies and technically in the English department um, where I'm writing about British authors writing about America in contemporary comics and I've been writing a book about the comics of Garth Ennis which is on hiatus at the moment because of the thesis which I'm actually submitting next week as I as we record this I do a podcast which is also on hiatus at the moment because of the PhD, um, called Frank Discussions, which is about the Punisher, where I get um, usually critics or industry professionals or occasionally um, my mother or my husband, because <laughs> he lives here. Um, so he's a, really, he's a very easy guest to get hold of. Um, Super convenient. Yeah, yeah. and we, we just talk about various Punisher comics and things like that. I'm uh, Matt Kint, and uh, I just I write and draw comics. <laughs> <laughs> you do so much more than that. The comics that you write are are absolutely amazing. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I do. I do two things. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome both to the show. It's it's genuinely lovely to speak to you both. Um, I know I've met you before, Kelly, but it's yeah. uh, it's lovely to to speak to you in this context. And and Matt, it's lovely to speak to you as well. Um, but um, Matt, you've got a new series coming out called Bang, which is out on February 19th, but it's got an exclamation mark at the end. So I, I don't feel like I gave it enough credit then by saying bang. It needs to be like bang <laughs> to make it like, pr- pr- like you know, really shock you when, you when you see it on the shelf. Yeah. 
Um, and my cat literally just ran out of the room. <laughs> She's terrified when I just did that. Um, but it's a four-issue miniseries uh, released by Dark Horse Comics with art by Wilfredo Torres. And I was either going to ask you to sum up the premise or try it to do it myself. Uh, but then I realized that I could get Keanu Reeves to do it because <laughs> wildly he's got a pull quote on the front of issue one, which is absolutely amazing. How did that come about? Uh, I can't really tell you. <laughs> <laughs> We've been hanging out a little bit. Uh, mm. And we're talking about comics, and uh, yeah. and uh, yeah, I really, I really can't say. Except that no. we met and we talked about comics, and then I sent him the first issue just to uh, see if he what he thought of it, and uh, he liked it. And so that's we'll just leave that there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the only thing cooler than saying you hang out with Keanu Reeves is h- hanging out with Keanu Reeves for secret reasons. <laughs> I mean, you've managed to kind of up that level a little bit just to be like, well, you know, I could hang out with Keanu Reeves, but I, I could make it a little bit cooler than that by, you know, c- keeping it conspiratorial as well. I love it. Brilliant. Uh, it's one of those things that's, that's so cool that I can't tell anybody because if I tell my friends yeah. talk about it, then it's like, oh, what a dick. <laughs> oh, they yeah, they will not be able to keep it secret. <laughs> you brought it up and I had to tell you, but I won't tell you everything. But he, yeah. the thing is, he's not involved in Bang at all. It's, it, he just That was the thing where I was like, hey, here's the thing I'm working on. So I don't want people, yeah, yeah. he's like starring in a movie or something. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, well, let's let's get back to what we can talk about then, because Keanu tells us uh, that Bang is a great fucked up blend of James Bond and Tintin. So is this how you would describe the series? <laughs> yeah, I mean, part of it is that. Not that I want you. Not that I want you kind of conflicting or going against or saying no. Keanu is wrong because yeah, what, you know that's says, that's impossible. Yeah, whatever he says is right. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I. The, what's funny is that the origin of this series started out, uh, and you'd brought up the Punisher before, and I thought the Punisher is just kind of a funny character to me. We can talk about that more, but um, <laughs> well, if you don't want to talk about it, Kelly, we don't have to talk about Punisher. <laughs> But, no, I don't mind. I, lo- I loved it. I love it. It's my thing. But I was going to say, I've got some questions about Punisher, so we are definitely going to be talking okay, about it. Okay, great. <laughs> I don't know what I have to contribute to that, but I will say that uh, I had been doing uh, like things like mind management, Department H, and all these stories that are kind of heavy and layered and have all this. There's a lot to them. And, uh, and I really wanted to do a new book that was just like straight up action, just like, uh, like, a, um, like a Death Wish uh, kind of comic where it's just a guy who has to go get some revenge and he's shooting stuff and blowing things up and driving a car um, mm. because I was like I, that's the stuff I just want to draw something fun I don't want to I'm tired of drawing like, people talking and then having feelings and and then like, <laughs> stuff happening in the background and yeah so this this started as that book and I was like well the, I was like what's the title and I was like the title's bang that's it that's it describes everything it's going to be um and so it started there, but then like every dumb idea I have, it just evolves into something more complicated. Um, mm. And then, uh, and I got to thinking, um, it, it was, I was talking to my editor about what's next. And I was like, well, I don't know. I was like, I kind of want to do this or that. And then he, he was like, well, what if, do you have like a, do you have like a black hammer or like a shared universe thing or like a, something like that? And I was like, no, nah, not really. I don't the think I'm not, I don't really want to do superheroes and I don't want to, uh, I don't know. I just don't want to do a superhero book. Mm. Um, and when I started thinking about it, I was like, well, what, I, what would I do? Like if you were doing, if I was doing a team, uh, 
like a team book, what would that be? And then I, and, uh, I started just thinking about the things I love and the things that I really love are like old radio serials and Doc Savage and James Bond and The Shadow and all these old pulp characters. Mm. Um, so I started writing. I was like, oh, maybe I'll do that. And, and then I'll turn Bang into that. And it's, it's just like all these old pulp characters put together in a team. Uh, but then I, then I realized that the only people that care about those old pulp characters are, uh, they're like 80 years old. Who <laughs> 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 cares about Savage anymore? Like I, I think it's cool. And, and there's yeah. like a pocket of fans out there. So I'm not, I'm not trying to shit on that, but <laughs> like, there, there just isn't I'm like, that's not what, that's not what people are into now or what people are interested in. But then that set me on the train of thought of, well, what is, what's today's Doc Savage? You know, what's mm-hmm. the, the shadow of today? Like, what are those pulp characters? Um, what are they now? And what have they been, you know? Because it's not like Doc Savage happened and then nothing else, nothing else responded to that in all of pop culture. And then I remembered that uh, Phil, uh, Philip Jose Farmer, science fiction writer, wrote mm-hmm. a, uh, this is online, you can find it somewhere, I can't remember the name of it now, but it was like a, he did like a family tree of all the pulp characters from Sherlock Holmes up through James Bond and how they're all sort oh, of wow. and, uh, just like a, a lineage of all these characters and how they're all kind of related. Mm-hmm. Like literally that related. sounds really cool. Yeah. And I was like, that I remember reading that when I was in high school and I was like, that's such a weird idea. Um, but then I thought, well, and then that's what happened. Then I was like, well, what's, where does the, I don't know when he wrote it in the seventies or something. So it just kind of stops in the seventies and I was like, well, what's after that? Like, what, what is it? And, uh, so I just started thinking about modern day pulp characters, you know, and there's things like, uh, at least a lot of it was like eighties television and nineties action heroes. And, and then, uh, and then there's always like, I feel like James Bond or the super spy is the one through line. That's always been like, it's never not been something people love. Uh, mm-hmm. but then there's stuff like Knight Rider where there's like a high tech car and then, helicopter show blue thunder or something i don't know if you guys had these uh, <laughs> but uh, uh i think what else um oh and then like i get the christy and murder she wrote so she's like going oh. on mysteries and then um let's see, i had all of them i had yeah sort of analogs for every one but i was like oh but you can tie the dna to those characters back to uh all the way back to sherlock holmes and just attach this to that uh family tree that farmer wrote mm-hmm. yeah, I'm reading one more yeah so then there's like the the death wish sort of action hero he's like an amalgam of uh what's his name who's in death wish what's that guy's charles name bronson? Yeah, charles bronson charles bronson yeah. he's like charles bronson and bruce willis sort of put together with like a a twist a little bit of an hour man twist where he has like these drugs he takes <laughs> um <laughs> anyway so that's i developed these characters that are sort of like uh, the DNA of all that is in there. And so they put mm. some kind of a new thing. Um, and then I sort of just jammed them all together. Um, but the, the, the spy character, I don't know how much you want me to get into this if I'm random. But <laughs> no, don't go for it. I'm interested. The idea I had for the spy character was to, to treat the code name. His name is Thomas Cord. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. just like, uh, like James Bond or something, you, that name is just a, a code name that they use. And the the character, the actual guy, is just the guy that's been sort of, and this is minor spoilers, but you'll, you'll get it after the first issue, but he's sort of brainwashed and programmed with all the memories of every Thomas Ford or 
super spy that uh, existed before. So he has all the memories and experience of every, uh, like just like James Bond. Imagine James Bond, Sean Connery's James Bond in the '60s. Everything he did, the present day one has all the exact same memories and and uh, abilities and and experience. Um, but he's just a new guy, and now he's like um, twenty years, thirty years old again. Yeah, so the way yeah. of like doing some sci-fi to make it uh, a character that could have existed in all those eras and then still be present day. Um, and also explain why he's kind of a psychopath. <laughs> like he <laughs> makes a joke about it and, and he'll sleep with whoever and doesn't really care about anybody. Um, so it's sort of, uh, it's kind of the reason he's that way. So, yeah, that's that's the super long pitch of... Uh, <laughs> I th- I, what I loved about it, and I mean, you you've given like kind of minor spoilers to the to the main character in the first in the first issue, which um, I read the first issue thought thought it was brilliant, and I I definitely have to have it, having read it and now listened to your kind of explanation, I I kind of see a lot of that in that first issue, and I feel a lot of that in the in that kind of meta narrative kind of concept behind Thomas Cord's character, um, and it reminded me a few years ago they had that um, there was like a like a James Bond fan theory that was going around that was saying like oh james bond isn't uh isn't his name it's, it's just code name. The, yeah yeah and that's exactly like feels like this is this takes that like kind of concept yeah and ratchets it up and adds like a sci-fi twist to it um because people are always saying oh you know the, the james bond films all exist in the same universe they're not rebooting the character it's just the next person to play him and that's similar to what thomas cord is isn't it it's like this idea of this this young man that has all these memories of fighting in the 60s and the 70s but it's only when someone questions him on it and says why do you remember this he's like oh i, I don't know <laughs> yeah? yeah and it's it's this brilliant idea no, it's cool because uh, there's a there's a scene later in the series where he he uh, runs into the murder she wrote sort of detective. She's like like an Agatha Christie, like a Miss Marple sort of character. Um, mm. He runs into her and she rem- uh, she remembers the Thomas Cord, but from the '60s when she was younger, and he remembers her younger too. So they they have a memory. She doesn't recognize him because he's a different guy. But she had yeah. he has a total memory of her and everything about her, and uh, and so that's kind of it creates some sort of fun scenes where the seven year old woman uh, doesn't know him and he's like I know everything about you like yeah like, yeah she was sort of like an Emma Peel Avenger in the sixties you know and they were they had adventures together and so he has all this memory of that and uh, I think that just it adds another fun layer yeah yeah. Are you, do you get a chance to kind of play with the different genres as well or like kind of the different approaches to the same genre rather because like 60s spy films were very different to kind of 2000s Casino Royale or something like that. It was very kind of different approaches like the 80s were a bit more action oriented. Is that something you're going to be playing in the space of or is that just because I, I think I, f- I felt that a little bit in Wilfredo Torres's art for this issue when you started seeing the previous lives of of uh of the, of the of the spy character yeah yeah for sure i there's definitely scenes where he's having these memories of 60s 70s 80s and so we're going to get to see those you know from his point of view and that'll be mm. fun and then uh and then every issue has two little uh text pages they're like pulp novel pages from like a james bond novels the first one and then like a who's who's in issue two i can't remember I wrote it a while ago, but um, but every issue has 
like novel pages for that character as if the, it's from their novel torn out of it. Mm-hmm. And I got to write those in sort of like the, the style of Ian Fleming and then the style of like those crappy 80s action uh, novels. Um, and it was really fun because I just sort of adopt that style and write some prose, the sort of bookends, the beginning and end of the issue. Um, but then also sort of develops a character. This is fun. That's awesome. And it sounds like you're having like a lot of fun writing this. And it's it's a it's a fun book to read. Um, even just like kind of seeing the cover and the title being, you know, bang and seeing like the you know, seeing the action inside and everything. I mean it's it's kind of does remind me it, it's in the same kind of spiritual vein as you work on like Ninjak for Valiant and and that kind of high action, kind of slightly tongue in cheek super spy. Like that, you pays a lot of homages to you know to to where it's come from. Um, are you having like the best time writing this? Yeah. Oh my god, it's everything I love jammed together. So it's <laughs> the thing about those characters; they're chosen specifically so that I could do every genre. So there's spies, and then there's sort of action, just straight up action, and then uh, like a murder mystery de- detective, the the uh, the older woman. Um, and then sci- the sci-fi author who I didn't talk about at all, but I'm a huge fan of Philip K. Dick. So there's an author, there's an author in there who's got some sort of messed up ideas, and uh, so we get the sci-fi in there with him. But yeah, it's every genre put together. Just it's like kind of like a dream book. Yeah, you just want to have your cake and eat it, don't you? You don't, you don't want to like stick to any one genre or any one character. You would just like throw them all in and and somehow making it work. It's brilliant. Yeah, you know, it's funny. It's like when I was a kid, I, I read everything and I still do. It's like I read Conan the Barbarian books and comics, and I, but I read X-Men. I read everything, you know. And, yeah, yeah. And it's all just sort of floating around in there. <laughs> yeah, this is a way of kind of like how they filter, like blend together and filter out onto the page. Right, right. Um, so that's bang. That's out on February nineteenth. Um, Kelly, are you a fan of kind of super spies and oh, yeah. James Bond? I I really like uh, just anything quite actiony, especially if there's some you know uh, like another something else underlying it, um, and sort of reminds it of actually the more uh, intelligible parts of the filth. <laughs> <laughs> actually was wondering about the uh the philip k dick aspect of of this whole thing like is i mean obviously the author character is going to play a big role in this going forward i'm guessing but um matt uh matt kent not other matt um (laughs) this can get confusing yeah well i was just wondering are you a philip k dick fan yeah i've read i've read every book except for i think there's there's two or three that i haven't read and i'm just kind of saving them because that's all that's left Mm. So I'm I'm a little older. <laughs> so it, I'm just wondering as well, like, is the Philip K, the, the stuff with the author in this is, is, I mean, were there any kind of theories that Philip K. Dick could actually tell the future or, or is this more like, oh, you know, some of the stuff he was writing about is coming true now? Yeah. I think I'm more inspired by like, kind of like his real life. Uh-huh. Um, I, I, uh, I started writing, like I was going to do a nonfiction sort of biography. Uh, biography of him oh, uh, and I just abandoned cool. it because I, I didn't feel like doing it <laughs> <laughs> um, I think another book that's what it was another book came out this year and I saw I was like eh, okay I mine would have been better <laughs> 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 I was like well they beat me to it so I'm not gonna bother um, yeah yeah but uh yeah I just had a different idea for it that would have been kind of crazy like like his books were 
Um, mm. but anyway, so, so I folded some of that into here. And uh, yeah, I think the thing about Phil K. Dick is I don't think, uh, I don't feel like he's the best writer, but I think he has the best ideas. Like he had the craziest ideas in there mm. and he would, and he wouldn't hold them back. He would just jam like the craziest stuff into these little books and, uh, and just put everything in there. And I think like as another writer, that was mm-hmm. inspirational for me because it's like, he just didn't, he didn't hold ideas back. He didn't have just one idea and try to expand on it. He just had a ton of ideas and he kept jam- jamming them into these small books. And um, I think that's super inspirational. It's kind of, to me, in a lot of ways, he's like the Jack Kirby of, sci-fi and then he he just wrote a lot he did it really fast and he just jammed it with as much of himself as he could in, into every book yeah. um, mm. and it's just like raw ideas and uh, so i think that's kind of the inspiration and yeah there's a little bit of a twist with him and the in his relationship with the characters uh, mm. i don't want i'm not going to give that away though <laughs> <laughs> well, i mean you've the what I love about that, like that idea of just being, finding inspiration in this, in almost like kind of uh, narrative chaos, that just like throwing as much together, like that you said, like like Philip K. Dick's obviously, you know, he's got so many ideas crammed into a space. Like, how does that kind of inspiration manifest for you? How do you turn that into something usable? Do you think, or how is how has it influenced your work? Yeah, I think uh, the older I get, the more I'm more conscious of of how that happens and a lot and like the the question you get all the time is like where do your ideas come from i'm like wow well, they're every they come from I, I know where they come from but they come from a different mm. place every time and it's yeah just, yeah it's just hard to keep track of it uh, but a lot of times like the simplest example is you're i'm reading a book and i don't know what i don't have a specific book but you're just reading a book and sort of anticipating what's going to happen it's like oh this character's going to do this or it's going to take this turn here and then do this thing. I, I could see that coming. Um, so you're sort of writing in advance what you think is going to happen. Um, yeah. and you end up reading the thing and it's like, oh, they went, they went over this way, which that's okay. But, but I think uh, my idea would have been better. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm like, oh, I'm going to write that down or whatever. And so that it's that branch. It's like you, you read a thing and then you, and then you have an idea for a way that that branch is off into something else and that branch that goes off into something else is, is kind of a lot of times the kernel of an idea, you know, it's mm-hmm. like it wasn't in the book, but the book sort of pushed you in a direction and then got you thinking yeah. a different way. And then that's an idea comes that way. So I'd say sometimes it comes, it's that way. And sometimes it's just a, I don't know, you're just daydreaming or talking to friends about <laughs> You never know when that kind of idea is going to lead to somewhere or whether it's just going to be a dead end, but it's always fun to kind of go down that road. Yeah. Um, well, Kelly, tell me about your PhD then, because that's really exciting that you're nearly finished with it. Uh... Um, and it's on like, I, I, lo- I looked it up and I, I was going to pretend to sound smart and ask you a smart question, sure. but I, 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 I can't because it's just too, it's too <laughs> smart for me. So it's a transatlantic narratives in contemporary comics. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about like kind of, where what's been the main focus of your research uh jesus um <laughs> <laughs> is this like a, a huge question when you're like a week away from no actually it? i mean i should be able to answer this um like because <laughs> you know when, when it comes time for the for the defense part like i'm gonna have to answer stuff so um hmm. well so the main thrust of the research like the the through line of it is starting with judge Dredd, john wagner on judge Dredd, and um hmm carrying like following that thread uh through to 
kind of where we are now um, in this sort of, like, I don't want to say post-transatlantic, but it's sort of come to the point where that is like the standard in American comics. And, um, Mm. and so, you know, how has that changed over time? How it, with the, you know, but narratively and as the industry has changed. Um, and, you know, I took way longer on this page than I should have, but the other side of it is that um, of taking way too long on this is a fair amount has happened that I didn't think would just kind of, you know, between like Brexit and the U S presidential election and um, on the political side of things. And then, um, a bunch of people that worked on the stuff I wrote about died. So yeah. So there's that. So like now I had to go back and, you know, now everything is in past tense, which is weird. Um, Mm. Two of the comics that I'm writing about got adapted for TV, which I didn't think was going to happen. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which is wild. Um, Mm. And so basically, yeah, we're starting with Dutch Dread. We go through um, to like the er earth, the early-ish days of Vertigo, so um, with Preacher, um, and then moving on from that to The Boys, which is a sort of like post-9-11 comics, because, you know, Preacher ends in two th- uh, ended in the year 2000, and The Boys came out in 2006. Um, mm. And so, yeah, looking at... And, oh, and The Boys ends in 2012, which is kind of around the time I think that the Marvel universe that sorry, the Marvel cinematic universe and sort of the glut of superhero movies really started to kick in. And so from there we go to um, Pax Americana and the sort of post post Watchmen Mm. climate. Um, And, you know, now that, so yeah, now now that we're at the point of, um, you know, where everything is, everything is revisionist now, like how, well, really it's sort of, are are American comics really accomplishing anything anymore? Or are they just kind of going around and around and around in a circle forever and killing their um, metaphorical parents Mm, and who kill the things who, you know, or who kill then their metaphorical children and then so on and so on in an infinite loop. Yeah. And so, you know, no matter how you come at it, that's what we're doing. Um, Which is a very fun note to end, (laughs) to end the main (laughs) thesis on. But you know what? I don't care because this thesis is tripping me out. And if people are going to feel bummed out reading it, then too bad. Cause (laughs) like that, you know how I felt writing it. You're not writing a fairy tale. It doesn't have to have a happy ever yeah, after. You can, you yeah. can write it's a, it's a true story. Yeah, no, I, I like that. Yeah, yeah. Also, because Pax Americana, in a way, kind of sums up, you know, it sums up not only a particular view of uh, the transatlantic legacy in American mainstream comics, but also um, kind of how I feel writing this stupid thesis. <laughs> yeah, it started to become like a meta narrative to your own life. Yeah, well, I mean, in an interview about it, Grant Morrison talks about the mind devouring Mobius strip, which he uses as a uh, metaphor for American, like post 9 11 American politics. And mm. um, I thought, yeah, that's and that's why the comic structured the way it is. Um, 
But I also feel like that's how I feel about this damn thesis. It's <laughs> just so, been going round and round. It's a mind-devouring Mobius strip, and no matter which side you look at it from, it's still the same thing. Yeah, yeah. You're yeah. so close. You're so close to finishing it, though. But are you? Because where's the end of the Mobius strip? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, am I going to speak to you next week? And you're like, yeah, I've just started. And I was yeah, like, what? <laughs> kind of, no, no. I, I just, I need to be done. Um, yeah. But, yeah, so... That's, that's yeah that's that's really fascinating yeah Thank you. like matt have you got any um any experience or any like opinions when it comes to kind of like pax americana specifically but like also this kind of post post watchman kind of period that comics are in <laughs> yeah i mean i i do what's funny is to me like all of that stuff seems so um and i guess it's american comics uh it's a superhero and monthly comic superhero based uh way yeah. of thinking about comics which i just don't which is funny because I don't, I feel like as I get older, um, I'm like, man, do I, like sometimes I'll pick up a book and I was like, maybe I don't like comics anymore. <laughs> and it bums me out because I was like, I love making them. Like I, it's my favorite thing on earth. Like I like that more than anything I do. Mm. Um, but then it's like I pick up and I won't talk, we've talked about this before. I, I won't tell you what stuff I read that I don't like because I don't, there's no point in talking about it, but I'll read some modern mainstream stuff and i'm like ah it's just i can't even finish it you know and i was mm. like well maybe i just hate comics and then i'll pick up uh something books like kind of the, uh, stuff that was on that list i sent you but most of yeah. it's like either european stuff or like albums graphic novels or um stuff not from here 90 mm. percent <laughs> of it is and then uh i was like oh no no i don't i don't hate uh i don't hate comics i just I'm just not finding the ones I like, you know, and mm. I just had to look a little harder um, yeah. to find the stuff yeah. I like reading, which just might, you know, you get older and your taste evolve. It's like, I don't really want to read. If it's going to be a superhero book, it's got to be really good. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, yeah. Uh, like Jeff's black hammer is amazing. You know, and it's, it's a, uh, well, that's all I really need. Um, uh, but yeah, so I think a lot of it is, is I just had to work harder to find the stuff I like because there's a ton of it out there. Um, yeah. And I just don't, to me, I, I feel just disconnected from uh, superhero books mm-hmm. and like mainstream comics. And I don't, I don't have an interest in reading it. And I don't know what I have to contribute even as a creator, you know, that hasn't been done before. Like it is, it's the Mobius strip of like, I was like, you know, once Watchmen and Dark Knight and all of that uh-huh. happens, so it just starts to fold on it in on itself and you either mm. twist it back to something fun mm. and light or, or you go back the other way. And um, I just, to me, I, I don't like thinking about comics as a genre. I like, I just want to have a good story. Right. Well, I mean, uh, comics are a medium really. Yeah. That's what I, that's what I think is I think we, when people say comics, you, I'd say most readers just think of superhero books. So I'm mm. like, well, that's not, that's not a, that's too bad. <laughs> yeah. More, there's a lot more than that. Yeah. yeah. They, do, they do tend to kind of dominate the, um, dominate the conversation a lot of the time, don't they? But it's, it, they are, they're fascinating as well because they, it is their own, it's almost like superhero comics have their own ecosystem. You know, they're in their own kind of world. And a lot of the things that you talk about when you talk about comics can sometimes only apply to superhero comics or exclusively not to superhero mm-hmm. comics you know like, and, and so it's it's strange this kind of exactly what you were saying kelly this idea that you know this these stories these 
um, even this kind of attitude towards comics like this, you know, the post-Watchmen idea of, oh, comics are not for us for kids anymore, you yeah. know, that like, all that's all that is, that conversation is geared around the superhero, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, but then even that idea of, you know, comics aren't just for kids anymore, that, you know, people have been saying that kind of for 30-something years now. And mm, mm. even if you were a kid when people were saying that, like, you're not one now. And so it's this idea of, you know, everyone just keeps trying to rewrite Watchmen and stop. Um, (laughs) Like the point of Watchmen was to write something, to take a familiar kind of story and to do something really different with it. And so now I think it, you know, people, if that's the lesson that people took away from it, that would have been great. Um, I think it would have made everything much cooler. Like superhero comics would be way better than they are now. Yeah. but you know now i think the problem is that to a lot of times that you know these trans the british capes came in and they started out writing um like existing properties but doing something different with them or adding something different to the mix so um you know you had uh garth ennis and john mccray on demon and also you had uh garth ennis on hellblazer with steve dillon and some other people um you had you know you 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 had um, Grant Morrison on Batman, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah, you had Neil Gaiman on Sadman, all, all of this. And it it was supposed, and everyone's like, oh my gosh, it's so cool. And it's a new and different. And that was great. But then what happened was every everything just kind of stopped after that. And either they kind of got sucked into the machine or they had to step all the way back. Um, and especially when kind of the comics that these people wrote got adapted for the big screen or they they be they became not directly adapted but you know like they fed into these huge multi-billion dollar or multi-million dollar multi-billion dollar hollywood productions like um how age of ultron has some has some stuff in there from um mark miller's ultimates and i'm not saying ultimates was an example of like groundbreaking transatlantic narrative but you know, that's kind of where we were, where the machine had taken the whole thing um, mm. leading up to and right after 9-11. And so now you have this um, on screen now and then, you know, the movie makes a whole bunch of money. And so executives, people in charge will say, OK, this is what people like. Make your comics more like that. Mm. And yeah. it sort of just goes around and around and around Um yeah, so I think if people had maybe taken the more conceptual lessons of things like Watchmen, mm. we'd be doing better rather than just yeah. it was violent and sex and had the, some of the characters had sex problems. So that's what we're gonna do. <laughs> yeah, that's what Batman's gonna suffer from now. Yeah, yeah, no, Batman had sex yeah. sex problems. Like I, he's had them from kind of to see what sex was. I think, but <laughs> you know, now we're going to make like this dude be a sex criminal. Like why? Yeah, well, yeah. Where was this before? To, What's wrong with you? Yeah. And that goes back to what you were saying, Matt, about the idea that um, these, you know, the stories are cyclical and, you know, you don't feel as though you would have anything new to contribute to that, to that field. And so you kind of decide to go in a different direction and break into, you know, and break off into different genres or your own kind of ideas of, of stories. Um, yeah, no, I, th- I think uh, that's what's interesting. Like, I, I feel like... Uh... With mainstream comics, American comics, you 
if you want to do a crime book, you have to attach that crime story to a superhero. Or if you mm -hmm. want to do a horror book, you've got to turn that superhero into like Swamp Thing. Elmore did did that, you know, it's like he wanted to do a horror book mm -hmm. and Swamp Thing became horror, you know, and it's still happening. And it's great. That's fine. It's a nice way to sort of do a mashup superheroes plus whatever the other genre is. But I, I just, I feel like I miss, why can't we just have a, a straight up crime book like criminal or something, you know, like why those are the, why can't we just do that? I, I think everything does have to be attached to like a known license or IP or character yeah. and everything with mainstream stuff, with, which is fine because that stuff's there. And I'm just, I'm working in a different, a different place. <laughs> and mm, the yeah. books I like are, are coming from there too. And it, it's fine. I think there's room for everything. I think it's one of those things where people that don't like I I have friends online that haven't that don't read graphic novels or haven't read comics or anything and say oh you know what's a good graphic novel to read and I say well what do you like and they're like oh well you know normally I read novels but I want to do graphic novels as though like it is its own genre but as you said Kelly it is a medium isn't it mm -hmm. so it's like well no what do you like do you like crime do you like you know romance right. do you like intrigue uh, or do you like you know superheroes are a big piece of the pie um, but there is also a lot a lot of other stuff out there and mm -hmm. it's it is all out there for people to find and i think there are you know there are there are um avenues that people can go down and when you i, I start recommending books to people in in terms of just describing the story to them mm -hmm. and that will then hook them in and like i i recommended uh, day tripper to someone the other day mm -hmm. um and just that didn't sound anything like a comic to them they were just like that doesn't sound like a graphic novel they say yeah well it, it is you know it just doesn't have spider-man in it but <laughs> you know it is it is a graphic novel and i recommended uh, monster uh, naoki urazawa's oh, uh, manga yeah. um which is which is amazing and again that's nothing to do with superheroes it is just this kind of horror story mm. really but it's also like a, a deep kind of character study and a drama and again they they weren't expecting that to be what manga is because mm -hmm. they see manga as just kind of either Pokemon or Dragon Ball Z yeah. or something like that. Or and, so, and girls or, or girls that look five, but it's like, oh no 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 no, it's cool that you know we're she's in these situations because <laughs> yeah. she's actually three thousand years old. I'm like, yes, yeah, she yeah, looks yeah, five yeah. though. Yeah, yeah, and that's it. and that's like that comes down. That's the similar kind of stereotypes that I think Western comic the superheroes yeah. are like the, that western equivalent to that aren't they really this idea that people see they hear the word comics or they hear the word manga and they either think superheroes for comics or they think kind of anime girls and and like dragon ball z yeah for, yeah. for you know which again as as you said matt like those things are there and people can enjoy those yeah. things if that's their thing but it's not doesn't have to be the be all and end all does it yeah no i think that's just great and i think sometimes i forget it because i'm like oh there's nothing here for me and then i find a whole pocket of stuff that's that i love you know? mm. I mean, yeah, like personally, I think there's always going to be a place in my heart for a comic about a bunch, some people just beating the shit out of each other. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, if they have costumes and fun code names and or like fun aliases and stuff like that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, with, with all that said, like what's what is it about the Punisher that you love? Um, I think it's for the same reason that people like John Wick and stuff like that. Um. You know, he's not real. And even though, okay, so like, he's not real, but I feel like if you, obviously, if you interpret or apply the politics in some of the stories a certain way, then that is real and that can do some real damage. Um, mm. But I think of him as sort of, so I actually have this little corner of Twitter 
which is like <laughs> right. me, David Brothers, and Cheryl Lynn Eaton. We're the little, like, the Punisher fans of Color Trifecta. Um, <laughs> do it because I know if I bring stuff up, they're not going to have messed up. Like, I, I can trust them to not have messed up opinions about something. And because, yeah, um, yeah. you know, one of this is a story about an angry man, an angry white man who has a, lots of big guns and he shoots people and he's very good at it. And that's his thing. And mm. like, we're supposed to want him to shoot the people. And I think in the best Punisher stories or the ones that I feel like land the best for me, they're either super over the top and ridiculous. So then you look at it and think, well, of course, you know, of course that's not real. It's like, yes, what he does is okay in that context and only that context where there's one where he, um, it's one of my favorite things that's ever happened in a comic to sneak into a mafia guy's birthday party. He does that. It's like, oh, so he goes into he goes in disguise. I'm like, oh, so he pretends to be like a waiter or something. No, no, no. He pretends to be the super um, like over the top, very like flamboyant personality caterer. Right. And he's wearing a fake. And he's wearing a wig and like a fake little pointy beard, <laughs> like Oliver Queen. And then um, yeah. there's one bit where somebody says like, um, because oh, you need to put the cake in here. And he's like, no, I can't put the cake in there. Like it'll you know it's gonna ruin it and then the guy's like but what and then he goes i can't work under these restrictions i'm an artist i thought you knew that when you came to me <laughs> and um and then at the end like he jumps out of the cake because it's in the middle of the birthday party and so he jumps right, out of the cake he's changed out of his caterer outfit and he's in like the full punisher gear he's holding a gun like a big machine gun and he just shoots everybody and that's how he gets the guy Right, and right, right. So I'm like, yes, the Punisher is, you know, he works like in a context where all of these other things happen. Yeah. So, so yeah. that's one kind I like. The other kind I like is where is the Garth Ennis version, really just the Garth Ennis version, that um, <laughs> he's dead inside. And, um, you know, to be this person, you have to, you know, you can't fall in love. You can't, you can't love anybody like ever again, basically, mm. because he in Punisher Max Born, which is where it shows um, his last tour of duty in Vietnam um, and like how he became the Punisher. It's before his family gets killed. Um, it's that he makes a deal with death or the devil or something. It's never quite clear. Um, it's just this voice that comes to mm. him when he's alone. And it's this deal that says, you know, you, he's about to get killed and it's um, you can die here or you know, you can go home and you can, when you go home, like, you know, the, you can go home, you can live and you can have a war that never ends, right, but you right. have to choose. Yeah. And he chooses. Uh, and it says there's going to be a price, but he doesn't ask what it is. And then the price right, is his okay. family. I love that your two favorite Punishers are one absolutely ridiculous and one like entirely bleak. <laughs> yeah, because I feel that's the only other way it works to me. If you're not going to be super ridiculous, I think you have to be really bleak because like, you know, if you look at that and you think, if you look at the Garth Ennis Punisher and you think, yes, I want to be this person, something is really, really wrong. Something's very mm. wrong because, you know, it's not just, oh, he becomes like this after because he's a man pushed to the ring. It's like, no, he chose. And he could have asked what the price was. And what if it had said, yeah, like you can't have a family anymore. Then maybe he would have said no, but maybe he wouldn't. And yeah. Yeah. And that's the choice. Like he actually, it says you have to say the word and he says, yes. And that yeah. to me is the, one of the big things is like, 
you know, a lot of other things are like, oh, you know, he's just, he's just doing what anyone would do almost in that situation. <laughs> I'm like, they would not. Um, yes, yeah, and- yeah. So the middle ground really is like this kind of character that is larger than life, but ultimately real and relatable. And yeah. that's like, that's a, that's a very difficult line to, yeah. to walk when, like, when you, it's the punishment. Yeah, and I don't, you don't want him to be, I don't want him to be relatable because, no, no. I mean, I love the Punisher story, but it's also like, you know, I don't want to be this person. That seems horrible. Yeah. Like he can't, he can't <laughs> yeah. have friends or anything. Like he can't just hang out with people like ever. Mm. Um, yeah. Because, and it's not because no one likes him or anything. Like it's even like when he has sex. And of course, cause it's a Garth Ennis character. Like, are we allowed to swear? Yeah, you can swear. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> like, so of course this guy fucks, but he's very good. And, oh, and the ladies love it. But, um, but like it's it's utterly joyless thing for him. Yeah, yeah. It's like yes, he's good, but he can, but he feels nothing inside. <laughs> and there's one bit where he's having sex with a woman, and like she, because it's like I think it's like the last she wants to feel like one good thing before she dies, and she shoots herself. Oh my god! Like at the right at the end, and, and I'm like, yeah. See, like if you're the Punisher, yes, you get to have sex, but also that happens. So you know, it's not really worth it, is it? <laughs> yeah, it's a bit swings around about yeah. some you know, something's good, something's bad. And there's one um, oh, there's a bit where he actually gets in Punisher Max um this woman, he actually ends up getting her pregnant and um she dies, but then the I think her sister, like is it, is it I can't remember how he finds out about the baby, but he ends up with the baby at some point and it's a girl. Hmm. And it's basically like, you know, you have it's he ends up giving the baby to the um, woman's sister and, you know, like to take care of. But it's this moment of, you know, you could start over. Like you could yes, have a, yeah, have yeah. a family again and you don't have to do this, but it's, but it shows like, no, he, you know, he's made this choice. And when he's faced with, Oh, you could just settle down and just take care of this kid. No, yeah, yeah. I'd rather just go keep murdering people. Is this, um, is this a character you're a fan of Matt? Are you a fan of the oh. Punisher? No, <laughs> I, really, I uh, what's funny is like he's. I think when I was sixteen, he was maybe one of my favorites. This is back like, I think when it was right after Frank Miller's Daredevil, and he appeared there, and then Mike Zett did the limited series, and I liked him there because I thought that was a great series. And then I, the older I got, the more I was like, this guy is problematic for so many. Reasons. <laughs> and and, uh, and I think, I think initially it was on purpose. And then I think it became not on purpose, and I feel like that character got co- co-opted by um, people that identify. Just the worst him. people in the world. Right, yeah, well, yeah. You see that Punisher skull everywhere. I'm like, yeah, I don't think yeah. so. You know, it's always a, yeah, it's always a weird yeah. toss up with the Punisher skull. It's like, oh, maybe they just like the comic, or they saw they like the, you know, that they watched Punisher Wars when they thought they thought it was fun. But sometimes yeah. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> it's always a little it's always a little sketchy i think yeah or it could be the way but um yeah like the, to me the garth ennis punisher uh the last punisher i read was the end punished oh yeah it. that's good oh that's really the only one you need like you can read frank miller's stuff and then you can read uh maybe the mike zach one which is i'm only listening to stuff i've read <laughs> <laughs> yeah only read these ones that are going to read yeah got it i get it uh, but the, the Punisher at the end was great where it's the end of the world and there's nobody left except these people trapped in it. I'm going to spoil it super fast. Or there's only people left or in this bunker and they're going to like recreate 
the population, but it's all these rich, corrupt people. So he just goes in there and kills them, and then he dies of radiation poisoning. Yeah. Oh yes, the, yes, yes, yes. That's the end. That's the character. Yeah. Mm. Richard Corbin does the art, which is just amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think, I think uh, to me that character doesn't work without a foil. Like to me, it was best when, like Daredevil, who's like his opposite. Uh-huh. Like they're both man, they're both vigilantes in a way, but one is working within the system yeah. and one is not, you know? And I think that that's what makes him interesting is do you have somebody, a counter, a counterpoint to him? Yeah. Otherwise, if he's mm-hmm. just going around doing his stuff, I feel like that's how you get, I think readers and can get, and the character can get muddled, you know? It's kind of mm-hmm. like Judge Dredd. Where, like you, you forget that he's, you're forgetting the anti and the anti-hero, you know? And, and, uh, and I think that's why, yeah, uh, I, I don't necessarily care for him. No, that's fair <laughs> enough. Like, I have to be, I find I'm quite careful. Like, when I say I like the Punisher, what I really mean is I like, you know, the Punish Punisher comics by, like, maybe three people. You yeah, know, three yeah. or four it's people. It's so easy to get it wrong, I imagine. Yeah. It, it's so easy to kind of go, as you said, like, Matt, to go on to the other end of the spectrum where it's like you're actually making him into a character that is, um, is, is like, identifiable in some way. Yeah. I, it worries me too that I'm, I'm just gonna say this too. Like, it bugs me not just on a personal and ethical level when I see the cops with the Punisher skull. Because I mean, obviously, first and foremost, yes, personal and ethical level. It's just it's a bad it's a bad thing. But I'm also thinking, did you not did you not see the movies or watch the show or like anything or anything? Because if the cops had been doing what they were supposed to, you know his. The, the kill his family's killers would have been would have gone to jail and it would have been the, if the just the law justice and law enforcement system had been doing what it was supposed to do his family's killers would have gone to jail for a super long time for you know manslaughter and mm. i re, i reject the premise that they were killed on purpose because not everything is about him um mm. and yeah, then maybe he wouldn't be the Punisher. Maybe he'd be somebody else. I don't know. But, <laughs> you know, for the most part, the Punisher, as we know him, wouldn't exist if the justice system and law enforcement system had done their jobs or done what they were ideally supposed to do. And so it's kind of like, here's a, this is a symbol of somebody who did does what they do because they thought you did a bad job. Yeah, yeah. Which is what what does weird. this symbolize? Yeah, what are you what are you trying to tell us what this symbolizes by having it as a tattoo? Yeah. It's very strange. Like we've done a bad job. <laughs> <laughs> Just reminds yeah. me of, um so uh my very first version of Bang was a uh, it was that Charles Bronson sort of revenge story, which kind of uh, circling back to that only because it's it's appropriate here, but the Punisher he's basically Death Wish and all that that revenge story is a Punisher story and mm-hmm. Punisher's over like years and years and issues. Um, but yeah, my idea was, man, I really wanted to just draw shooting and blowing up in cars and cars. Revenge story, very simple and linear. Um, and then uh, the very first version of this was, yeah, I'll do that. And then I started doing some sketches in the cover, and then I was like, man, I feel kind of, I feel kind of bad. So um, the idea, the original idea was to do a graphic novel that was going to be 80 pages and then um and it has two covers and uh it's split in half so one cover is that first side and it's called bang and it's this guy on a revenge mission and his family gets killed and he goes and he kills everybody and wrecks a car and blows things up and shoots everything uh and then the second half uh it's a flip book so you turn it over and the other side is about a guy who um 
is a victim of that violence, loses somebody because of the guy on the, the other half accidentally killed somebody or paralyzed somebody. And then it's about him dealing with the aftermath of violence and like, like a very grounded way of, uh, of what that's like, you know, dealing oh, wow. with violence in your life. And then the idea is, would have been that the book would, you would, you could read it in either, in either, in either order. So you read the action part first and then, it's like, oh, this is great. Like the best kind of punishment story you could find. And then you flip to the other side and it makes you feel super shitty for liking that other. Or <laughs> <laughs> you read the other first and you're like, God, this is like what are ruminating on the, the effects of violence. And then you read the other side and you're just disgusted by it the whole time. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I was, I realized that that was a book that would just, uh, no one want, no one really wants to read that. <laughs> <laughs> it either it either make the reader feel bad for liking half of it, or yeah. or they would then feel bad about you for, right. <laughs> for depicting exactly. it this way. Yeah, it's a lose lose. And then, uh, but I, I realized that that book is really just it's like a, a metaphor for my for me because mm-hmm. I love I, mean, I love James Bond and all that cool stuff, but at the same time, I'm like I don't like morally and everything i'm against the, almost everything sure yeah, <laughs> anyway, yeah. Like, man i like seeing action i love uh all of that i love john wick movies and everything but at the same time you, there are consequences to all that stuff in real life but um it's like there's a split between the things i'm entertained by and and what i really believe in mm. um anyway so there, that's a book that will never happen but you can imagine it in your head <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> I mean, it goes back to what you were saying, Kelly. This idea that, like, for to like the character, like the Punisher, you, you know, you've either got this Garth Ennis kind of, you know, where he is a he's not the everyman; he is this very specific individual. Yeah. Or you've got this kind of ridiculous, extreme, like, kind of uh, cartoonish almost version. And I think that's where people derive the fun. Like, I love like eighties action movies, like Schwarzenegger and Stallone yeah. and stuff, because they like. But I don't want to see someone actually going around shooting up the bad guys in real life. Well, no. You know, but I want to see, you know, but I want to see those movies because it is, it's so extreme that it's escapism at that point, isn't it? Yeah, it's like a cartoon, like you say, except with mm. real people. But yeah, they're, they're yeah. not real. I mean, they're pretending, you know? And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And sort of because when it's super over the top, then it's like, okay, yes, that now I know they're pretending, mm. you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It just kind of go, takes it to that extreme. Yeah, it? like Sylvester Stallone didn't actually shoot like all those people. <laughs> that wasn't a documentary that I watched. No. It, was, it was just that, yeah, yeah. But it was just like a few people or something. And depending on, you know, the demographics of everyone involved, I'm like, yeah, then that could get really bad. <laughs> Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. They do. Some of them over time do become more yeah. pro- problematic than others, don't they? Like Rambo First Blood, I'm like, how come I'm bored? How am I bored and offended at the same time? <laughs> um. <laughs> uh, well, let's talk about some comics that uh, that we love then, Matt. Yes. So what's um, what are some comics then, Matt, on your like list that because when I when I normally send this out, people, as I said before, they either you know pick something that they love or they they can't decide. You sent me this fantastic list that is basically um, some like homework for me as well now because I'm going to go away and look at some of these. Um, but what are some of the ones on there that you like the idea of talking about? I'm pulling up the list right now because I can't remember what I told you. <laughs> well, this is it. This kind of feeling of what is your favorite comic? That for me, it does change every day. So this idea of like having this list is is brilliant because it means that you kind of you have like something that covers every mood almost. Um, yeah, no, I know one for sure that I uh, has been one of my favorites the last couple of years is that Beautiful Darkness 
Um, mm. I'll look up the artist, but it's a, I think they're French uh, writer artist team. I'm looking them up now, but uh, yeah, yeah, that was a uh, one of my favorites because it's it's just this beautifully painted graphic novel. It's sort of a it looks like a fairy tale on the surface, and it has sort of cartoonish characters, but then also it's super dark and uh, and there's like a really dark heart to it. Um, but it's really kind of sad at the same time. It's just hits all of my uh, all the things I like, but, which is funny. Like you, everything I'm going to recommend, you have to take with a grain of salt because I I don't really I don't like books that are funny normally, and I don't like <laughs> um, there's just a lot of things I don't like. So anything that ends up making you like sad and sort of sucker punches you at the end is my favorite thing. Mm, yeah, um, yeah, uh, yeah. So that one I like, but it's really really dark, even though it looks uh, really pretty. Um, what else do I have on there? I think that's a good mix, though, isn't it? When it's like something that's really dark, but it actually looks beautiful. Like this, I'm looking at some of the images now, and it is that could be like a children's book, couldn't it? Like kind of a the the some of the images that are depicted on it, but then actually there is it is a, like I've seen a couple of the others where there's like kind of a weird macabre scene where they're all sat around this mutilated corpse, and it's like oh, okay, yeah, well, it's not a kids' book. It's not for kids. Yeah, no, he's not for kids anymore. <laughs> these little creatures, uh, the whole story takes is set inside that corpse. Um, oh, right. The creatures uh, sort of dealing with each other, and it deals a lot with like things of like uh, jealousy and, and that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, yeah. But in That's a, wild. In a fun, weird way, like I've never seen. I, I don't know how they even came up with that idea, but that's <laughs> good. But other stuff I like, like the thing I more generally gravitate to is like Christoph Blaine and those Gus books they're just like westerns uh he's uh i think he's french i'm assuming he's french um but he uh he's really good and those are again those are stories where um the the stories are just like kind of fun and lighthearted. but then there's some art to them you know yeah yeah you about the characters but then the the art is amazing and the storytelling is great and mm-hmm. um, somebody was asking me this the other day i i was we were talking about mainstream books and everything and i was like and the things i like and don't like and uh and i realized what it was was a lot of it is just storytelling it's not and i don't mean the words i just mean like the choice the art uh the art and the panels and the layouts and how the story is told and i feel like um a lot of comics don't use comics as a medium they're using it as a way to convey a story but they're not using comics for all they can do, you know? And I think a lot of that is just like panels and how you show the action and, and, uh, and the, the example we were, what were we talking about? He was like, Oh, sometimes I just want to read a, a book where Superman punches a guy through a wall. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I, me too. But my problem mm-hmm. with that is I want to see Superman, uh, pull his arm back and then punch the guy and the guy flies through the air and hits the wall and then lands on the other side. I want that to be five panels instead of one. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of times it's almost like the art is just uh, giving you an overview of what's happening instead of uh, telling the story. And I think like what a lot of those European books do is they really, the art tells the story as well as the words, like they work together um, yeah. in a way that it's hard to find in sort of modern mainstream stuff. But mm. I find, um, manga the way manga structures action 
is um is exactly the way you know you're you're describing it like the way you you like to see it because they they're very heavy on choreography and you and you feel those moments and some of their like kind of top superhero books at the moment which is uh, like my hero academia one punch man they have these amazing choreographed scenes that and a lot of them are written either written for the fact that there's going to be an anime of them or they are an adaptation of an anime as well um but but also they they do feel a lot more kinetic they feel a lot more energetic because of that and whereas i know what you mean a lot of a lot of western superhero comics tend to do those uh, big splash pages where everyone's there and they're all fighting and then on the next page it's done and it's like well you know i, I we didn't really see that where you know we you deliberately disconnected us from the actual um, the actual movement uh, by choosing to depict you know one flash like a photograph of that scene. Um, so you're not putting us in that moment. You're you're kind of showing us a photograph like a week later or something like that, and it kind of does detract from the action in that sense, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's like a it's the difference between like seeing the thing happen and then somebody just sort of recapping it. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so would you say that that kind of um, book is the kind of thing that you you enjoy the most? The idea of the someone using the comics medium to to tell a story and that like kind of encompasses both kind of story and like script and art kind of together is that like kind of a, a deeper a deeper experience you're looking for? Yeah, no, I, I do. I think, uh, and then you can kind of tell when you're reading it uh, unconsciously. It's like, are you just reading the words? And flipping the pages or are you reading the words and then looking at the art like are you doing both or are you just yeah. kind of sometimes the art is, is a background for the words and and you know it's almost incidental sometimes and i and i don't really enjoy that but um my favorite stuff is just you're just sucked into it you know and i think those are a little bit harder to find i think a lot of it is like the especially a lot of the european stuff it's a there's a writer artist the writer's drawing it and i think there's a closer connection uh when you're actually doing both mm. where you're more conscious of how you're telling the story and 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 if you're just writing even as when i'm writing for the art i'll catch myself doing it too where i'm like oh, i'm writing this thing and describing it but i'm like i'm not imagining what it's gonna be like to draw it um, yeah yeah and then uh and i think there's a disconnect there i who was it was on bang where i had uh written a script for issue two i think for wilfredo and and uh he sent me an email and he's like, Hey, can I, can I do something else with this character? Because he's basically just, uh, sitting in a chair, the whole issue. <laughs> like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> writer only thing where it's like, I'm not imagining what it's going to be like to draw that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also just reading it. It's like, so that would have been a comic, you know, those are the pitfalls. It's like, I don't want to do a comic where you're just, the art is incidental and you can just read it and, five minutes and be done there's nothing to interpret or look at yeah yeah and what, and what about you kelly is there like what kind of like i know that you want to you've brought preacher with you to talk yeah. about which is like an awesome series that does it does take like its concepts in a completely in a completely new direction doesn't it yeah um i mean you know looking back on it there because i think i wrote to you that it was like it's the comic of my 20s um yeah 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 anyway because i didn't i read it after it came out um I was too young to read it when it was coming out um, in monthly issues. So, 
because I was 10, like when it first came out, I was 10. So like, I was definitely way too young. And, um, <laughs> yeah, by the time I, I read it when I first read it when I was like 20, I think. And, um, it's kind of stayed with me and yeah, like looking back, some of that, is, some of it's way more problematic than I realized at the time. Even that time yeah, I was yeah. like, I thought, hmm. And then now I look back and went, whoa, <laughs> you <laughs> cannot do that. No, don't do that. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But, and I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna come out and say, Oh, it was a different time about like, it wasn't that long ago. I mean, I, but what I will say is that it, it, yeah, it does take things in a very different direction, and it is, um, it's kind of this thing that, what I, I, I really dig, with Vert, you know, the early days of Vertigo when people were doing um, their own original series, which was kind of going back on, you know, all the stuff that got phased out uh, or banned or whatever by the comics code, and. Um, yeah, so like Preacher puts everything in there. It's like, okay, so you're showing, you know, explicit, there's swearing, there's um, ex- explicit violence, there's nudity, there's sex, there's um, there's also a lot of horror elements, which um, the comics would really stamped hard on. Um, there's, it's a Western, which wasn't bad by the comics code, but around the time that it kicked in, like um, the Western, you know, Westerns were starting to kind of fall out of favor, so... I think that's, you know, that's another thing. And it sort of just brings them all together. And it is also this testament to, it was the first thing I think I read that made me think, mm. oh, dang, you can do that in, in a comic? Because <laughs> more more so than Watchmen almost, because while Watchmen is, you know, just incredibly, is I, think, I still think it's brilliant and deft and adroit and, you know, formally a marvel really um a testament to the medium but i think in preacher is preacher is written i feel like with so much heart and Mm. you know this isn't someone looking back whatever you you want to say watchman is looking back on um i think this is it's something that this is two people looking forward um to kind of what what is possible what can we do and not just what not just what can we get away with because I think that's the mistake some people make when they read it. Um, that it's all about oh like um, horrible violence and swears and people beating each other up and whatever. Um, it's at its heart I think the story about it's a story about in a way toxic masculinity and um, how the insidious ways that it can manifest because. You know, every time I come back to it, I'm always struck by what an amazing character um, Cassidy is. Yeah, yeah. Because I guess I have this friend who was, re- he's a bit older than me, and he he was reading um, Preacher as it came out of monthlies, like him and his best friend in school. And so they were teenagers at the time. And so, you know, at first, like, as it came out, him and his friend were like, because oh, they were, you know, like we're best friends, just like Jesse and Cassidy. And then as it went on, they went, "Oh, oh no." <laughs> um, yeah, which one of them is Cassidy? Yeah, like, but this is it. I think you know a lot of, a, a lot of guys, a lot of people. I think know a Cassidy, and I feel like if you don't, then maybe you know you need to take a hard look at yourself. <laughs> maybe it's you. Yeah, it might be because you know most of us aren't that as bad, and like we don't drink people's blood and like take heroin and stuff. And we certainly don't get other people hooked on heroin, but hopefully, mm. but 
it's this idea of, you know, that if you go through life without a sense of consequence, it's you hurt you hurt yourself and you hurt others around you. And and the way that this maps onto kind of like masculine behavior or like quote unquote masculine, because I'm not trying to say all oh, like all guys do this all the time or whatever, but um there's also some ways when um Cassidy and Jesse are interacting with each other and it's like, oh, I think at one point Jesse says like, yeah, like it's a guy thing. This is the way that they are. And it was, it was, I think one of the first things that showed me that like, oh, this is going to sound awful. But I was like, oh, dang, guys have like feelings, feelings. <laughs> <laughs> because the way when um, Jesse is finds out that Cassidy betrayed him, the way he reacts is so strong. And it's not just like, ah, oh, the manly code of honor. It's that, you know, this is my friend. Like, this is somebody I really, really cared about and trusted. And I loved. And they hurt. They really, really, they took that and they really, really hurt me. And, um, you know, he's able, I think, to express that. Not in maybe the healthiest way, but he is able to express that. And you also see Jess um, growing as a person from this kind of, you know, taking his lessons from like ghost John Wayne. Um, his, if, any, if anyone out there hasn't read the comic, I'm sorry, I guess I'm spoiling it, but it's been <laughs> out for a while. Come on. Um, yeah. Also, I don't think you, I don't think you're spoiling it because I think all of these taken kind of out of context yeah. make no sense whatsoever. Yeah. Like the ghost of John Wayne and like a vampire yeah, and stuff. So, it just makes no sense outside of it. So, so Jesse is the main character and um, he has this like, I don't want to say spirit guy because I don't really know how to position him, but hmm. it's basically kind of like, it's kind of like his um, ghost spirit guide through life who pops up at important moments, who's the ghost of John Wayne, but it's not really John Wayne because it's like the ghost of a composite of all the characters John Wayne has played. Yeah. And also yeah. he meets the ghost, quote unquote, like in 1972, which is seven years before John Wayne died. Right. So he's yeah, like, yeah. he can't be a ghost. Um, <laughs> but, you know, how he learns to, like, that serves as a moral code for him while he's growing up because his dad dies. Um, his dad gets, Jesse's dad gets murdered when he's really young. And um, it's like, it gets him through this very traumatic um, upbringing, but you can't do that forever. It was the, is the idea. And it almost, you know, taking Jesse's essence almost like ruins his life. Um, or it almost ruins his shot at true love. And at the end, because he has this whole thing of like, you know, real men don't cry and blah, blah, blah. And at the end, like you, you, you see him crying because he's, and he says, I guess I must be learning. Like he's learning to be, to grow and to become now his own person. Um, and to take, you know, to take what was good from the things that he learned, but to also, or the things that he internalized, but to also reject the things that, are holding him back and I think that's also a very like starry for a person in your 20s because um, Garth Ennis was 25 when it first came out and mm. so yeah he, would, he was 25 to 30 as it was coming out and like and the story the overarching story I think is very much this idea of to you know making negotiating your influences both um in your own life, like your personal influences, because Jesse has this like terrible, terrible family. Mm, and yeah. there's this, you know, his showdowns with them is kind of, you know, where you go back and you confront kind of the aspects of your upbringing, even if you had a pretty good one, like the aspects of your upbringing that are problematic and that are maybe holding you back and that you need to 
kind of distance yourself from in order to grow. Um, and, you know, your perhaps your influences in terms of the culture you consume, or if you're a comics person, or if you're a creator, like the, con- you know, what are the influences that shape the work that you are doing that are helping you? And what are the influences that are holding you back? Um, and how do you negotiate that? And yeah, I feel like Preacher is in many ways also about that. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's quite a mature um like obviously it's a mature book, but it's quite a mature um, discussion for Garth Ennis to be yeah. having with himself as a creator oh, yeah. at the age of twenty five. Yeah. Because you know, at the age of twenty five, I I didn't have a clue who I was, yeah. or I didn't like I, I certainly wouldn't have had the nous to kind of think about how you know masculinity in society and in my own upbringing uh-huh. has affected my you know affected my life and how you know and he has this kind of manifestation of. I used to say John Wayne, but it is basically this this manifestation of everything masculine that he's he's known yeah. to, to respect and known to grow up with, and how this kind of guides him. Yeah, it's um it's quite a, a deep thought process for for Garth Ennis to be having yeah. at such a relatively young age. Which also it? makes me think: wait, if you're that deep, how do you write some of this other stuff? <laughs> um, right, like, yeah, like, why are you so afraid of butts? Like, what, what, what is that? Why are you so <laughs> afraid of like things going in a man's butt? That's not the worst. Like, as long as it's not the worst thing that's ever happened. Like, as long as it's consensual, it's it's that it's not bad. Like, it's fine, yeah, dude. Yeah. If somebody's yeah. into that, like, again, I don't see how that's a. It's not. This, it, yeah, it's not the end of the world, my guy. Yeah. And Matt, have you have you read this, Matt? Do you are you a fan of Garth Ennis or the Pudding or uh, or Preacher? Um, I read Preacher probably like God. When did it come out? Whenever 95. the trades, yeah, I probably read it around whatever when the when the trades first came out, and mm. I still have them. I just read them once as they came out, so I barely remember it. I remember uh, Our Space. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's exactly yeah. what we're like saying about this idea of like the the two sides of Garth Ennis yeah. as a creator, this really deep, thoughtful person, and then the guy that creates art. Yeah, like you made yeah. Cassidy, my God, you made Cassidy, and that's you know, I was like, because I was reading the trades, um, and kind of as you go through them, I was like head over heels in love with him, and then as it turns out, as you find out more about him, like, oh my God. You yeah, broke yeah. my heart. You broke my heart, <laughs> Carthanis. But it's fascinating how, you know, these, like I said, the, these behaviors are mapped into masculinity in the sense of, like, he's presented as, like, you know, the broest of bros, kind of. Because, mm. you know, ah, uh, like, he's always got your back in a fight. And, you know, he can drink you onto the table. And he's all got, he has all these crazy stories. and but, but then the reason he has all that, the reason he can do that is because he doesn't, see like he doesn't have a sense of consequence in his life because because he's since he's a vampire like he can literally get shot through the chest and get up and run away yeah yeah so he doesn't and you know the idea of like that is like the ultimate of a certain kind of masculinity yeah yeah he's very literally this kind of parasite isn't he yeah yeah but the idea that that is the apotheosis of a certain kind of masculinity i think is a really um is a really insightful uh thing to put in a comic again especially when your comic also has our space and a guy who has sense of a meat lady <laughs> yeah 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 
I also think that like what you said, Matt, the idea of reading it at that certain age of your like point of your life, I think that's almost the perfect time oh, yeah. to read Preacher because I feel as though if you read it like when you're older, when you're kind of like the ages we all are now, yeah. I feel like you probably I don't think I like it so much. <laughs> Yeah, you, you probably wouldn't like. You wouldn't appreciate the the kind of the nuance. Like, you wouldn't appreciate it on the same level. I think you had to kind of read it at that age. Yeah. Well, no, you're right. It's funny. It's, I revisited some of my favorite books uh, like 20 years later, and then I I actually stopped doing that because mm. I yeah. Like, man, I love those books. I want to love uh, my memory of them because they don't. They're not the same now. <laughs> mm, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It is. It is hard sometimes when, like, you you can never go home again, can you? Like these yeah. these books that you kind of love. I think the the memory of them are a lot a lot better than. And as you say, Kelly, like some of some of the preacher stuff, like firstly wouldn't get published today, and secondly is like <clears throat> extremely problematic to say the least. Yeah. But like in in the context of it, and there there is there is depth to it, there is heart to it, and there is like an actual a message that is is important mm. that is is kind of does pervade through the the series doesn't it yeah it's interesting that sorry go ahead okay i was just thinking like it's interesting that as well you know for a lot of people who are going to be turned off by <clears throat> you know okay this is going to sound really weird but there is a connection so i was home when i was home over christmas i was watching this episode of csa miami with my mom <laughs> right and it was about um this reality show this kind of like jersey store style thing where one of the cast members gets murdered during an um doing like this pub big public appearance and okay by the way it turns out that um one of the other cast members snapped an ice spike off an ice luge a booze luge made of ice of the statue of liberty and stabbed her in the ear with it Right. But that's not the <laughs> point of this. Okay. The point is, so one of the cast members is, it says, oh, none of the cast members are really what they seem, which is a stupid thing in an era where everyone has the internet. <clears throat> but, um, <clears throat> so one of the cast who's like on the show, he's this total, like, um, he has this like reputation for like, oh, he like, you know, he's banging every, every woman in sight kind of thing. But like, because it's on, <clears throat> for TV restrictions, obviously you never see him like actually doing it. So it turns out that when he, like, he's actually, he says he's a virgin. And, like, they just go into his room and then they leave is what happens. Oh, right, okay. And then, like, you know, they stay in there for however amount of time and then they leave. And um, and he says, they're like, wait, so why do you work out so much if you're not trying to get laid? And then he cites, he, he quotes the Bible. And he quotes First hmm. Corinthians about, like, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit that is within you. And it turns out he's studying to become a priest. And then he said, and they're like, why are you on the show? And then he says, because it's the best way to reach out to sinners. Right. Yeah, I know. But my point, the point of bringing this up. Yeah. Is that I sort of wonder what if preachers like. Not a way to reach out to sinners, but, you know, mm. you know, they're good because there's going to be people. And I was going to say, there's going to be guys. I mean, I'm sure some women too, but there's going to be okay, a lot of guys who you know, they want to see the violence and the swearing and who, who can blame them. And they want to see the, the, the off-color jokes. And, you know, maybe they're also really afraid of stuff in the butt. I don't know. But, <laughs> you know, and then they read this like, oh, yes, this, the, this comic is, is, is very me. And then, you know, it's, it sneaks in. Well, not really sneaks in, but, you know, it gets in all the stuff about toxic masculinity and um, 
learning how to not condescend to women and all of, you know, like how to, you can respect women and still be, and, and stuff like that, but, and you, you can still, you know, be, be, be cognizant of the inequality between men and women without condescending to them, that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah. So, like, it so gets that like, in. Yeah, so, like. Kind of a, like a narrative Trojan horse. Yeah, he's reaching of- <laughs> out to sinners, like that guy in yeah, yeah. Miami. <laughs> that was the point of all that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> what were you going to say, Matt? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> We've been taken on a CSI journey. I'm sorry, it's, I caruso you. No, no, I loved it. Yeah, no. Um, but no, that yeah, that's exactly it. That I think that kind of like in a way kind of sums up why we love these like bizarre comics sometimes because they 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 could be completely ridiculous on the outside, like Punisher or like Preacher. Yeah. But then they can also have this kind of really cool message underneath as well. But um, but yeah, so um, I think that is that's all I've got time for. Thank you both so much for for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you both. Um, and uh, Matt again, Bang is out on February nineteenth, uh, which is uh, coming out from Dark Horse Comics, uh, from you and Wilfredo Torres. Uh, so everyone should go out and get that because it sounds absolutely fantastic, and the first issue is really good. Um, but um, but yeah, thank you both. This has been brilliant. All right, thank you so yeah, much. Thank you. Thanks once again to my guests, Matt Kint and Kelly Kanayama, for joining me on the show. That's the Issue is part of the Multiversity Comics Podcast Network. That means you can find this show and plenty more at multiversitycomics.com. You can also find me at thatstheissue.pinecast.co. You can subscribe to the show via Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please consider sharing this episode with a friend. The show is on Twitter at That's the Issue, and I'm on there too at Matt Lou. Finally, you can contact the show via email at that's the issue podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.